Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Thank God for the Word. I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8, if you would, please. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8. And I'd like to share with you a little bit about faith to help others. Faith to help others. How many believe that you can help other people in this life? You believe that? How many of you believe that you've been called upon by the Lord to help others in this life? Amen. You have. We all are ministers, able ministers of the new covenant. Amen. We're supposed to be. You believe that? Have you ever viewed yourself that way? You're an able minister. Praise God. You may not have a call to be behind a pulpit somewhere, but bless the Lord, you've been called of the Lord to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ to your generation. Do you believe that tonight? Amen. Are you taking that calling upon your life seriously? Well, someone said yes. One individual said yes. <laughs> Two. I mean, are you really taking that call upon your life seriously? Amen. We need to. Amen. We need to recognize ourselves as able ministers of the New Testament. And we are here in this life on this earth to help other people through situations that they might be encountering in this life. Amen? Amen? Bless the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been approached on numerous occasions with people in crisis situations. Have you ever been approached by somebody in a crisis situation? Well, did you know what to say? Did you know what to do? Or did you refer that person to somebody else? Well, I know a pastor you can talk to. I've had many referrals. Let me t t trust me on this one. I've had many referrals. And I know some others have also. But you see, I believe that the Lord wants us all to gain the knowledge of Christ. And every one of us develop our skills and abilities when it comes to helping other people through crisis situations. You can do that, praise God. Say, I can do all things through Christ. Who is my strength? You believe that tonight? Or are we just making a, a, a confession that's meaningless? No, we believe that, praise God. You can. Well, see, tonight's message is designed to help you develop your skills and maybe some character traits that will assist you in helping others through crisis situations. Amen. Helping them whatever their need may be. It doesn't have to even be a crisis situation, but sometimes there is a crisis situation. But whatever, regardless of the situation is, praise God, you can be there to help somebody because of the skills that you have in the Word of God and the character traits that you have developed in Christ Jesus your Lord. Now, I'd like to begin our study here in Matthew chapter 8 for a, a, a reason. And that reason is this. We're going to use the life of Jesus to teach from tonight. Why? Because first of all, A, He is our example that we are to follow. He was pretty successful in ministering to the needs of others, wouldn't you say? So we should follow the pattern of His life. But also, B, because His ministry was that of helping people achieve fullness of life. Did you hear that? His ministry was to help people achieve fullness of life and also to develop their skills so that they would be effective in dealing with life's conflicts and problems and circumstances. No matter what the burden would be. Wasn't that what he was dedicated to? It was, wasn't it? Well, as a matter of fact, look right here in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. 
and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. I want you to underline there the fact that Jesus said, I will. I will. I want you to notice that Jesus came to do the will of the Father. He was here on earth because God the Father wanted people well. What was the motivation behind those two words, I will? That motivation was compassion, wasn't it? If you read that in another place, it says that Jesus moved with compassion. You see, it was the will of God that people be well, the will of the Father that people be well, not to advertise who Jesus was, but because He had compassion for people. If you want to be effective in helping people through crisis situations in life, you also have got to develop compassion. That was the basic characteristic of approach in the life of Jesus. He was moved with compassion to help people. And beloved, if we don't have that same compassion on the inside of us, we're going to take people's problems lightly. And we're not going to be sincere when it comes to helping them overcome. There has got to be compassion developed on the inside of every single one of us. We have got to view situations as being serious and we have got to allow the compassion of God to rise up on the inside of us because God wills people to be well and God wills people to overcome their problems in this life. God wills them to be successful over conflict or whatever it is that they encounter in this life and we've got to let people know that and we've got to be compassionate toward whatever it is that they're suffering. Compassion is simply being sympathetic toward another person's suffering coupled with an earnest desire to alleviate that suffering. Jesus, everywhere he went, was moved with compassion, and his desire was to alleviate suffering, no matter how he had to do it. That's what he did. And so the very first thing when it comes to helping people overcome life's conflicts and burdens and crisis uh, situations is to be filled with or full of compassion. I'm going to give you two other references in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse 34, Jesus said, I have compassion upon the people because they have been with me now for three days and they're hungry. And I don't want to send them away lest they faint along the way. Did you hear that? Jesus was compassionate toward the people because one of their basic needs was not being met. They were hungry because they were there for three days listening to him preach and teach. He cared so much for them that not only did he give them a good spiritual meal, but he saw to it that they were fed and cared for physically. That's balance, isn't it? But look at it. He had compassion toward them because they were hungry. He did not want to see one person faint along the way. Someone else might say, well, where is their faith? Can't they believe God to get to McDonald's? But not Jesus. He said, let's feed them and strengthen them physically and then send them on their way. I like that. But what motivated him to meet that need? Compassion. He was full of compassion. Here's something I want you to turn to. Mark's Gospel in chapter 8.
and verse 2. And I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for diverse of them came from afar. His disciples in verse 4 answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took seven loaves and gave thanks, and break and gave to his disciples to set before them, and they did set them before the people, and they had a few small fishes. And he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled, and they took up the, the broken meat that was left, seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. Now think just for a moment about this tremendous miracle that took place to meet the needs of all these people. And if you think about it from the natural perspective, we would think about it the same way his disciples did. Where are we going to get enough natural resources to supply this need? Where are we going to get enough money to buy the food that we need to feed all these people that are here? We have got to have a different mindset that is based on compassion. And you see, beloved, compassion sees lives through the eyes of God himself. He saw their needs as being serious because many came from a distance and they wouldn't get fed until they went home. And so compassion does not just look at natural resources. Compassion reaches out beyond the natural into the supernatural heart of God and produces out of the heart of God that which is necessary to meet the need of the human. And every single one of us has that potential to tap into that resource through compassion. God wants us to be compassionate toward people when they come to us for help. Going back to Matthew chapter 14, if you would please. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 14. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude. There's a great multitude around every single one of us. Doesn't matter who you are. You've got a great multitude of people all around you in this life. And you know what? We have a difficult time identifying with the problems that exist, even in a small church setting like this. You can look from one side of the sanctuary to the other and not know how many problems are represented here in this place tonight. But I want you to know that Jesus was consciously aware of the needs of people. He saw the great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. Does compassion rise up in your heart when you see the multitudes of people? I'll tell you what, if you took a trip to Pittsburgh and walked through Children's Hospital... I guarantee you it would not take very long before compassion would begin to rise up on the inside of your spirit. You would see these young lives being devastated by sickness and disease and compassion would rise up on the inside of you. And compassion, remember what it is. It's not only being sympathetic toward them, it's coupled also with an earnest desire 
to help alleviate the suffering. Helping people that are hurting in crisis, in times of need, is what the body of Christ is all about because that's what Jesus was all about. He saw the multitude. Do we see the multitude of suffering humanity in the world today? Do we see that? Beloved, if we don't, then something is lacking on the inside of us. We have got to recognize the need for us to rise up to a place where we begin to see people through the eyes of God. And when they come to us, compassion rises up. And I mean it takes us right into that spiritual realm with God where we draw from His resources to help meet that person's need. And so compassion was absolutely vitally important. And it was a characteristic of the life of Jesus that enabled Him to help meet the needs of people. And every single one of us needs to be touched with that same compassion. I want you to lift your hands to heaven if you would with me right now. Because, beloved, there's no other way to receive from God. And in your own way, just say, Heavenly Father, I open my heart to your compassion. Enable enable me to see suffering humanity through compassionate eyes of love. Would you do that? Hallelujah. Just go ahead and thank Him for it right now. And receive it. Say, Father, I receive your compassion. I receive, I'm moved by your compassion. And I make room in my heart for your compassion. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I want you to see another verse of Scripture. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, if you would, please. In Matthew 9 and 36, verse 36. Compassion is so important to all of our lives. This is how Jesus ministered. This is how Jesus was effective in touching the lives of people and helping them overcome crisis problems that they faced in life. It was compassion that enabled Him to touch the divine flow of God's miraculous power and meet the needs of people. Look at verse 36. But when He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. You know, sometimes we can pray that prayer, Lord, send laborers, but we can lack compassion in praying it. Did you know that? Think about that just for a moment. It's not just to pray the prayer, beloved. We've got to have the compassion. You see, it's the compassion that, that motivates us to pray for people that are in a lost and dying situation. There are people all around us, multitudes, just like Jesus encountered, multitudes that are in need of saving grace. He was compassionate towards those that didn't have teachers or shepherds, wasn't He? And so that's what He said, pray that people will, will come across their path and their lives. I also believe He meant send pastors to teach them and shepherd them to take them under their wing and teach them the way of God. And that's why He sent these people out. Paul and others, Peter, James, and all His disciples and others, anointing them to preach and teach the gospel because He was compassionate toward them. Man, they need to hear the Word that will make them free. Can you see how that motivated His heart? And beloved, likewise, our hearts, when we pray for these people to have laborers across their path should be motivated by compassion. 
Believe God that your heart will be enlarged with His compassion so that when you pray that prayer, you pray it from the heart. Secondly, with regard to Jesus' ministry. Now remember, He was dedicated to alleviating the suffering of humanity. And compassion was one way He helped people. And so I've got to have that same compassion. And if I want to build a life of faith to help other people, I have got to believe in God's compassion and then make room for it in my heart. I have got to see the world as He sees it and recognize it's on a, a downhill collision course, course with eternal damnation and eternal fire. Secondly, in John's Gospel, actually there's three references John 4, John 8, and Luke 19. But I'm going to ask you to turn to Luke 19 and just write down John 4 and John 8. Secondly, Jesus accepted people who, for who they were. If you want to be able to help people overcome problems and situations and teach them to better deal with conflict in this life. You have got to accept people for who they are, just the way they are. Jesus did that. He didn't condemn people. He didn't criticize people. He did not condescend. He saw people for who they are, who they were, and He dealt with them just as they were and met their needs. See, that was the attitude that He had in His life. That was a character trait about Him. He also looked at people just as they were and saw something in them beyond their problem. And I'll show you that. But look, first of all here, well, before we look at Luke 19, in, Luke, in John's Gospel, chapter 4, you remember the story of Jesus talking to the woman at the well and how she came out, and you know the story, and Jesus was there, gave her something to drink. She was surprised because he would talk to someone who was a woman and a Samaritan and, and all this and Jesus conversed with her, told her all about her life and all that sort of thing, and she marveled at that. And she said, there's a time when the prophet, or when the Messiah, rather, is going to come, and when he comes, he's going to explain all things to us and help us understand how to worship God better and all that. And Jesus says, I'm the one who is the Messiah. And she was elated because of it and all that. Well, in his dealing with her, Jesus accepted her for who she was. I know that you've mar been married before and the guy you're living with right now is not your husband and all that, but I don't condemn you. Did he condemn her? Did he find fault with her? Did he criticize her? Did he point out all her imperfections and all that sort of thing? No, he didn't do that. Absolutely not. He dealt with her just as she was. I like that. She didn't have to make a thousand changes in her life to get the help that she needed from God. All she had to do was be sincere and Jesus dealt with her just as she was. And then you take the woman that was caught up or taken in adultery and you know that whole story and how everybody condemned her. They wanted her stoned to death. They went to Jesus. Jesus was going to help solve this problem. They wanted to find out whether or not He would have her stoned to death and obey the law of Moses and all that sort of thing. And Jesus saw right through all of them. Did He condemn that woman caught in adultery? Did He criticize her? Did He condescend? Not at all. He accepted her just as she was. And beloved, we too have got to accept people just as they are. And right where they're at, offer them the help that they need. He offered that other woman the help that she needed. He offered the, the woman taking in adultery the help that she needed. And here, Zacchaeus 
also was given the help that he needed, and Jesus did not condescend. Look at chapter 19 of verse 1. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. That is just the way it was. The man was a rich man. And even though he was a rich man, he had a void in his life. How many of you believe that? Riches cannot fill the empty voids that we have in our hearts. And so he wanted to see Jesus. And he sought to see Jesus who he was. And he could not for the press because he was little of stature. This man just speaks to my heart. My heart goes out to him. I can just see him just bobbing up and down trying to get to see who Jesus was. And he was so frustrated because all these six-foot giants standing up in front of him. And then there were the men. <laughs> so what does he do? He gives up. No, he doesn't give up, does he? He goes and finds himself a sycamore tree. He climbs up the tree. See, this guy was so empty on the inside. He had a crisis in his life. He had all the money there was in the world. I mean, this man was, was rich. And you know the expression, they say filthy rich. Why they say that? I don't know. But he was filthy rich. He was rich, 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 rich. He had all kinds of money and all that. And he still was unsatisfied deep in his heart. And so he had a crisis situation going on on the inside of him. And he needed to get to Jesus, but he could not see Jesus. He probably heard of all the miracles that Jesus did. He probably had people tell him what miracles were taking place and how their lives were being changed and touched. And, and he was probably envious of what they were experiencing because they met the man, Jesus Christ. And so he tried to see him. He couldn't find him. He couldn't see him because of the crowd. So he climbed up a sycamore tree, went up on the top, climbing up there to find out who he was and what he looked like and see what he could see. He ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came up to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today I must abide at thy house. This man was a dishonest tax collector who was considered no good by the common people and probably even by his peers. I mean, this guy was dishonest. And Jesus said, I'm coming to have supper with you. Can you imagine that? He did not condescend. He did not point out his flaws and, and all that sort of thing. He just said, look, I'm going to have supper with you in your house. Make ready. What was it that Jesus possessed? He possessed the ability to believe in people and also to believe in their potential. He accepted people for who they are, the way they were, and he believed in them and believed in their potential. No, you're not fulfilling the full potential that you can in God right now, but he doesn't condemn us for that. He believes in us. Say it with me. Jesus believes in me and in my potential to fulfill his will. Amen. That was his attitude. So whether she was confused like the woman at the well, whether she was a, an adulteress like the woman caught in adultery, or whether a guy like this dishonest tax collector, Jesus saw beyond the natural, looked into his heart, believing in that person. You know, sometimes we should look around a congregation and say, I believe in you. Instead of criticizing somebody or condemning them or putting them down and say, I believe in you. And when someone comes up to you and, and seeks your help, 
maybe your guidance when it comes to counseling them through a crisis situation, you should always tell them, I believe in you. And I believe in your potential to overcome this problem. Amen. See, that will better equip you to help other people when they come to you. See them the way Jesus did. Number three. The third way that Jesus helped people, and we're using the life of Jesus because His life was dedicated. His ministry was dedicated to helping people and helping them achieve their full potential and overcome life's problems and deal with conflict and all that successfully. Amen? I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 10, if you would, please. The book of Matthew chapter 10. And verses 29 and 30. Jesus helped people by elevating, helping them elevate their sense of self-worth. That was another way that Jesus helped people. Now remember, take all these into consideration. You may not use them all at the same time, but this will help you be better equipped or prepared to assist other people when it comes to overcoming crisis situations in their life. Target these areas. Be compassionate toward them. Believe in them. Believe in their potential to overcome the problem. And also, listen carefully. Also, help elevate a sense of self-worth in them. Because you see, at the root or at the, at the very heart of people's problems, many people's problems in life is a sense of low self-worth and low self-esteem. They can't get the help that they need to receive from God because they feel so unworthy and so beneath Him. And even others. That's why oftentimes they'll go to others because they don't even believe in their own relationship with God. We need to put something in them and tell them, you can touch heaven, you can touch God, but you don't understand, brother, I'm just so this and I'm so that. No, 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 no. No one's better than you are. You've got the same rights. You've got the same covenant. You've got the same privileges. You've got the same blessings of Abraham. You're a child of God, the same Holy Ghost, the same name of Jesus. Praise God, you've got everything that everybody else has. It's right there at your disposal, right there for your use. You're somebody special in the eyes of God. Look what Jesus said in verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. He is saying birds in the sight of the Lord never die without the father knowing it. Think about that. That's awesome right there, isn't it? You ever hit a bird when you're fly, driving your car down the highway? I mean, you just feel terrible that it happened. Well, God knew it. I mean, it's bad enough you knew you did it. Now, God knew you did it also. But I'm saying He knew it. He knows it because He knows all things. That's how important that little sparrow was to the Lord. That little bird is important to God. Well, how much more is a human life valuable to God? Your life. Everybody say, my life. Is important to God. Even the hair on my head is numbered. Glory to God. Bless the Lord. I tell you what, I see my little Carly right now. She's getting a little more hair on her head. And I think, God, you just keep adding. Keep adding. Someday you'll start multiplying. But I think about the awesome. Wisdom of God and knowledge of God, the ability of God to know how many hairs she has on her head. Isn't that amazing? How special are you? How special am I that God would number the hairs on my head and take that into his thought life, log it somewhere, you know, up there in his mind.
Think about that for a moment. That's how special you are as an individual before God. Everybody say, I'm special in the sight of God. We need to hear that every day. I'm so special. He's numbered the hairs on my head and He knows all about it. What is man that thou art mindful of Him and the Son of Man that thou visitest Him? How is it that man is so important to God? How is it that my life... Everybody say, my life. It's not somebody else's life. You're not living somebody else's life. My life is important to God. My life is valuable before God. Just the way I am, just who I am, with as much hair as I have on my head. I'm so special that God did this for me. And you see, beloved, when you put something into people, you help them elevate their sense of self-worth. You see, you help them discover that because of who God is and what He has done, they are important. And you elevate their sense of self-worth. And you help them better deal with problems that they face in life today. Number four. I want to well, if you would please, chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And we're going to begin at verse 22. And please listen very carefully because if you're ever in a situation where you're going to counsel somebody who is in a crisis situation, you need to really hear this. Or if you're in a situation right now that you're encountering a difficulty in your life, maybe a crisis in your life, you need to hear this for yourself then. So it's a twofold thing. You can hear it to help others or you can hear it for yourself to be helped here tonight. In Luke chapter 12, and we're going to begin at verse 22, and Jesus helped people by helping them reshape their thinking. By helping them reshape their thinking. He got their attention and their focus off of the unimportant things of life and he had the ability to get them focused on the important things of life. Now, beloved, in the sight of God, there are important issues and issues that are not as important. And Jesus helped people overcome their, their problems in life by getting them to reshape their thinking and start focusing on the things that had eternal value more than temporal value. Luke 12, 22. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for your body, what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you by taking thought can add one cubit, can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothe the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not what ye Seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
And what he was doing was getting them to refocus their attention on the things that had eternal value. Stop being so overwhelmed by things that God will provide for you as you seek and pursue the kingdom of God. Don't allow these things to be the focal point of your life. Don't try to be overwhelmed by things you cannot change, things you can't do anything about. People being so overwhelmed and so overcome by by things they have no control over, as a result, they have situations where there's a crisis in their emotions, all because they've not focused on the right things. And Jesus is saying, start focusing on what the kingdom of God is all about. The kingdom of God is all about God having a family, a people that love Him. God is saying, you are up for me, a godly people that will love me and, and serve me and do my will and know who I am and fellowship with me and fulfill my plan for their lives and I will provide for you all that you need on this earth to sustain your lives. That's what God is saying. Can you see that? And I'll care for you. Start thinking about the things that have eternal importance. Start thinking about the things that will bless you here on earth and also in heaven. And don't get caught up in things that you have no control over. And God is saying, I'll add the things that you need in this life. And so because He helped people see beyond the natural into the supernatural, He helped them overcome worry, anxiety, fear, all these different crisis situations that arise in people's emotions. He was good at that, wasn't he? We've got to do the same thing. We've got to help people in the same manner. Look at John's Gospel, chapter 5. And while you're turning there, I, I, I just think of a couple of more things that Jesus said, some statements that Jesus made with regard to, to reshaping our thinking and focusing on the right thing. Jesus himself said that if a man will follow after me, let him first deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's important. Can you agree with me that that's important? Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. That's important, right? What's a man going to gain if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? It's better to lose the lower life and gain the higher life than it is to lose the higher life. I mean, yeah, lose the higher life and gain the lower life. Isn't that what Jesus taught? Absolutely. And then if you call the situation where, where Jesus was talking to Peter right at the end of John's Gospel, chapter 21... Remember, Peter was so caught up in what John was going to do with his life after Jesus just got done telling Peter that you're going to do this, 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 and this, and you're going to die like this. And Peter just lifts up his head and looks around and says, well, Lord, what about him? What's he going to do? What about his life? And Jesus said to him, if I want him to stay alive until I come back again, what's that to you? Serve me. Say it with me. I'm to serve God with my life and not be concerned about what God wants others to do in their lives for Him. That's getting properly focused. Can you see that? That's what's important. It wasn't important to Peter to, to, to determine what John was going to do, was it? Or even to know what John was going to do. What was important to Peter was what was Peter going to do for God? 
And that's what Jesus made him mindful of. So he put a stop to that kind of thinking right there. He helped him reshape his thinking. In John's Gospel, chapter 5, Jesus helped people, look at verse 6, by helping them accept responsibility for turning from their present condition. Now, beloved, if you're ever in a situation where you're helping somebody who's in a crisis, this is something that you really need to know. It is your responsibility to help people accept their responsibility to change their situation. You can't change their situation for them. You've got to help them understand that they need to be responsible and accept that responsibility for change. Look at John's Gospel, chapter 5. I want you to see this in this light. This is talking about the man at the pool of Bethesda who, who was sick for 38 years, at least there, 38 years in that condition, who had never walked. When Jesus saw him in verse 6, lie, and knew that he had been now in a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Listen to the question. Will you change or stay the same? And listen to the response. The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. Where did he shift the responsibility? Did he accept it or did he shift it? Sir, there's no man. When the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. But when I am coming, another step it down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise. You see where he put the responsibility? Look, friend, rise. Take up your bed and walk. In other words, you must accept responsibility for remaining sick here for the rest of your life or being healed for change or for remaining the same. It's up to you. What do you want? Rise, take up your bed and walk. That's powerful, isn't it? Very often when I counsel people, I say, do you want to stay the same or you want change? And if they say they want to stay the same, there's really not a whole lot that you can do. And that's why I always ask that question. Do you want to stay the same? You don't need me or anybody else. Just keep on doing what you're doing. But if you want change, you've got to accept the responsibility for that change. Be responsible. And if we help people understand that, it'll bless them. Uh, number six, John 5 also. And I want you to look at verse 14. Jesus helped people by emphasizing right behavior. Sometimes we want to skirt this issue, but beloved... We can't if we want to help people. Verse 14. And this, this impresses me so much. The man was healed. You know the story. Matter of fact, let's read right on through since it's not much. Verse 10. Or verse 9. And immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed, walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he said, And he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus findeth him. I like that. Jesus was not done 
ministering to this man. We're not talking about, you know, just some blade person out there. We're talking about Jesus here. Imagine this. He cared for that individual. And he was not done ministering to that individual. He went looking for him. He had unfinished business. Wouldn't that make that guy important? Wouldn't that make him feel important? Jesus came finding me. I like that. Think about that just for a moment. Boy, that'll bless you. Jesus just took off looking for this guy. And what did he say to him? See, he wanted to add something to his life that would help him deal with further conflict and avoid certain problems. Listen. He found him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. What did he emphasize? Right behavior to avoid further problems. See how we can help people? And what did he say to the woman caught in adultery? Go and sin no more. I'm not condemning you. I forgive you. Praise God. Restore your life. Now go and sin no more. Jesus emphasized right behavior. And we've got to tell people just like that. Right behavior. Number seven. In Matthew 11. In verse 28. Jesus helped people by encouraging people. Matthew 11. Verse 28. He helped people by encouraging people. You know, sometimes you've just got to offer a word of encouragement to people to help people rise up to a place of victory. And you know, sometimes you can be tempted because people are out there and maybe they're not doing what they should be doing and you might be tempted to say the wrong thing, but God doesn't want us to say the wrong thing. God wants us to do the right thing. Help people by encouraging them. Always put something into them. Have faith in the Word of God. Believe that what you say will help that person rise up and overcome. Listen, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor, verse 28, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen carefully. We need to encourage people to hook up with Jesus. Jesus said, My peace, I, I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. There is peace to be found in this troubled world. There is peace to have in this unsettled world. And people have crisis, emotional problems because they have no peace in their lives. And we've got to direct them, encourage them, and let, their, let them know that in Jesus there is peace. You can find that peace. The peace does not come from the world. It's found in Jesus. And He'll keep you in perfect peace if your mind is stayed upon Him because you trust in Him. And we've got to encourage people and let them know there is that peace that you're looking for. You may feel troubled. You may think that this troubled feeling you have is going to abide with you forever and that you're never going to be able to escape the anxiety and the frustrations that you're encountering in this life. But I encourage you tonight to go to Jesus. I encourage you in my position and every lay person out there, you can tell somebody there is peace to be found in Him. I encourage you to look to Jesus in your dilemma. And I want you to know that you can be assured you'll find rest under your soul. Amen. That's what he said. Number eight. It's found in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. Oh, I love this. I wish I could preach this here one for a while. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. And you know the story of the man named Blind Bartimaeus. Somebody know about Blind Bartimaeus? Now, this fellow had a crisis situation and he was wanting to do something about his situation and he needed help. 
And these people didn't offer too much help at the beginning. But let's read the story. In verse 46, Mark chapter 10, And they came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great number of people, and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he had heard, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And all the people around him encouraged him to continue crying out unto the Lord even louder so that they might, he might be heard of the Lord. And they all stood by in support of blind Bartimaeus and said, keep confessing the word of God, blind Bartimaeus, because we know one more time and Jesus is going to touch you and your life. No. It says, and when he heard it was Jesus, he began to cry out. But in verse 48, many charged him that he should hold his peace. You want to encourage somebody in the Lord? Tell them, don't hold your peace. Don't settle for defeat. Cry out all the louder and all the more. Look at what he did. I love this guy. Look at what he said. But he cried the more. He didn't listen. Don't you love it? Now get reserved and sit back. Blind Bartimaeus. Be silent. If it's the will of the Lord, he'll walk by you. If it's not the will of the Lord, he'll not walk by you. But just sit there and be pious, very humble and very religious. And don't make a sound and don't say a word. Blind Bartimaeus said, what school did you go to? I went to Ramah. Hallelujah. And he cried out all the more. Praise God. A great, he cried, the Bible says, the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still. I like that. And Jesus stood still. How did Jesus help him? By getting this man to be specific is how he helped him. I want you to see something here. Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort. Oh, isn't that something how they turn around now? Oh, man, be of good. I encourage you now, boy. Rise, he calleth thee. You think he called him because he was religiously, piously sitting back doing nothing? No, he called thee because he was wild fanatic over there in the corner saying, Jesus! All the more louder and louder. Listen to what he said. And he casting away his... Garment. Now, tradition says that white garment that he wore identified him as being blind. I like that. He cast that thing off, rose and came to Jesus, and Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? You know, some people never ask God what they want. And one way we can help people is by having them be specific. I mean, you would think now blind Bartimaeus could have just stood right there before Jesus and said, now, Lord, it's not my foot that hurts, and it's not my elbow. Did you not notice that I'm blind? But he didn't, did he? See, Jesus knew what his problem was. He wanted him to be specific. And sometimes we've got to get specific with God. And Jesus helped him by getting him to be specific. He said, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. Be specific. I want to receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. 
and immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. I like that. That's a good story, isn't it? We can preach on that for a while. And number nine, and then we got one more and we'll close. In, in Matthew chapter 7, this is how you can help people. Have, have people get specific. Tell them they've got to get specific with God. Tell God exactly what you want. You say, but what if it's not found in the Word of God? Well, then you can't ask God for it. Come on. Did you hear that? If God doesn't promise it, if it's not within the framework of God's will or His Word, we can't ask Him for something that, that we can't have. Amen? He's talking about things that we can ask Him for that we are promised, the, all the benefits of the covenant. In Matthew 7, verse 24 through 29, but, but first let's read verse 29. He helped people by teaching them with authority. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. I know about you, but you and I have got to believe in the ability of God. And we have got to believe in what we believe in. And the things we say to people, we've got to be confident that what we're saying is going to help that person. It's ordained of God. Jesus spoke the word with authority. He taught them with authority. And as a result of his teaching with authority, they recognized he had something to offer. He had something to say. He had something to give. He wasn't timid. He wasn't backward. He wasn't shy. He wasn't unsure of himself when it came to teaching the people how they could have their needs met, was he? No, he was confident. He wasn't hesitant. He was confident. And he taught these, in these three chapters, he taught the Sermon on the Mount. And in that glorious teaching, that most wonderful teaching, he taught people how to deal with life's problems. He taught them how to live. He taught them how to know the heart of God. He taught them how to seek the kingdom of God. He taught them how to put God first. And he said to them that if you'll follow these things, you're a wise man. But if you want to be foolish, just don't do what I'm saying. In other words, look, there are only two kind of people in the, in the world, the wise one and the foolish one, and the wise one listens to what I have to say because what I have to say counts, and it means something. Was he sure of himself? He taught with authority, not like the scribes. Well, I don't know. It might work, might, you know, and all this stuff. No, Jesus said, look, you want to get results? You've got to believe God. Follow your heart, desires toward God, not toward the world, and you'll be successful. Store for yourself up treasures in heaven, and you'll be successful. You can read the whole Sermon on the Mount. He told you exactly how to be. Be poor in spirit, humble yourself before God, and just, just read on to the whole thing. He was sure of himself and what he taught. And finally, number 10, John's Gospel, chapter 3. And you know the story, but I want you to turn there because I want you to see something here that kind of jumped out at me that will bless you. In John's Gospel, chapter 3, he helped people by being sensitive to what their real motives were. He could, in other words, read a person. He could read their life. Even though they may approach him for, let's say, saying one thing, he, he really knew that they wanted something beyond that. He had that ability to discern certain things about people's lives because he was so sensitive to what their harsh desires really were. John 3, beginning at verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we... Everybody say, we. Underline that, circle that, or whatever you want to do to it. Just bring it out. Highlight it. We. Notice he said, we. I didn't say any we. He came by himself. 
didn't he? Well, what is he saying we for? He's trying, you know, to get slowly to Jesus because really this is his desire. Can you say amen? Why did he go by night? If he wanted to say we, he could have brought all of his friends with him, but he knew they wouldn't go during the day. He went by night in secret and he said we. No, he meant I. And Jesus saw that. I'll show it to you. We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles except that, that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you all. No, he said to you. In other words, I know why you came, Nicodemus. I'm going to answer your question. I'm going to give you the help that you're looking for. Verily, verily, I say to you, before he ever got to the point, Jesus stopped him right there because he knew his heart. He was sensitive. He knew what he was coming for. I'm telling you, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. And that's why you've come. You've come to find out what I'm all about. But I'm telling you, you've got to be born again to see the kingdom of God. And I know what your heart's desire, and I'm telling you straight, that's what it's all about right there. There's no we involved here. It's what you want to know. And sometimes people will come to you and say, I have a friend. <laughs> Ever been there before? Exactly. And you can see beyond that and say, hey, I know what you're looking for. Jesus will help you. And this is what you need to do. What I'd like to do is uh, continue this with a part two and help us understand how Jesus became so effective in meeting the needs of people. And that will help us become more effective. You believe that? Amen. Let's all stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.